would please, and let's turn to the book of Psalms. Thank you, brother. Chapter 40 of Psalms. I will cut all the fat and go directly into the word of the Lord and share with you what the Lord has laid on our hearts. And uh, if the Lord's will, we'll have maybe a couple of days still to be with you to be able to share a few other things. Uh, I'm going to put some camp meeting um, bookmarks here on the pulpit. I'd like for you to get one, two, three, five, a dozen. Carry them back to your church. Pray for the camp meeting in September uh, that will be coming up that uh, we moderate. And, um, and it's got a nice little uh, piece about prayer on the back of the card and, uh, or on the back of the bookmark. And it's a, it's a, uh, an, a uh, transcription. I was looking for that word. I know a few words with a couple of syllables in them. Um, a transcription of some preaching that I did in a Wednesday night series. Now, I don't know how it is at, at, at uh, maybe all the other churches around, but uh, I've never had my largest crowds on Wednesday nights. And uh, there was a very, at times, a very small attendance in those meetings preaching about uh, the, the, the phrase, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. We want to know how to pray. And uh, we took every phrase of the Lord's Prayer, uh, a message on every phrase. One of the, one of the w- weeks I had this exact transcription of this exact phrase in my notes that I specifically used word for word. Someone heard it online, put it on a bookmark, laminated it, and gave it to their father in the next state over. And he said, I believe Brother Toby would like this, and I'm going to send one to him laminated. And I got it, and uh, he didn't know I'd preached it, and I didn't know that where he had gotten it from. It took me a little while to trace it down. And uh, then a preacher friend of mine liked the bookmark, and I gave it to him, and so I thought I sure would like to have some bookmarks like that. And I thought about Brother Sammy, and I thought, you know, Brother Sammy would be real proud of me if I'd make some camp meeting bookmarks and uh, put something about prayer on the back of those bookmarks. Anybody remember a few camp meeting bookmarks with that good outline on prayer on it? And uh, so I don't have a picture of myself on the, on the uh, bookmark. I got some pictures of Brother Sammy on the bookmarks when he still had a flat top haircut. And uh, so that's way on back yonder. But I know that'll be a blessing to you, that little piece about prayer on the back of it to be a blessing, and so pray for our meeting. Psalm chapter 40 is where we're reading. I won't waste any time being uh, telling any sort of stories or anything else that the Lord don't want us necessarily to do. I want to get right into God's Word. Two verses I'm interested in tonight, and we'll stay in Psalm 40 for the entirety of the message. Psalm chapter 40, verse number 5, the Word of the Lord says, Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Verse number 17, the word of the Lord says, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help. And my deliverer, make no tarrying, O my God. Tonight, the the Lord's help, I want to try to preach for just a little while on this simple thought. I'll kind of explain the background on it here in just a moment. From verse number 5 where he says, I will declare and speak of them, that is of his works and his thoughts. The message tonight, I declare his meditation toward me. I declare his meditation toward me. You can be seated this evening. Thank you for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. Back around 1st of February around the church I began preaching. I had something else I was going to preach on tonight and the Lord just wouldn't let me get away from this. I told Brother Randy on the way here I was just unsettled and just could not get peace with anything else. And so I want to be sensitive to the Lord. But I began preaching back around February, early February on this uh, thought, I declare. Now, I don't know how it is around where all of you come from, but in in Mandeville Road community there in Powersville, um, if a fella got kind of uh, surprised by something or shocked or something took him by uh, where he was awestruck 
uh, it would be real common for him to say, well, well, I declare. And he never would go on to declare anything. And he would just say, well, I declare. And you've got to say it in the right kind of Appalachian accent or it don't even count. It cannot be, I declare. It must be, well, I declare. And it has to be spoken properly. You know, there are some places where they know a lot more words than what they do in Mandeville Road, but there's not many places where they speak as good English as what we do. And uh, the uh, sermon series was really provoked in my mind and in my heart by studying where the Apostle John, in his beginning in his epistle in chapter 1, he declared unto us that which he had seen, that which we, what he had laid his hands upon, he had examined the very word of life. And uh, he goes on to say in verse number 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. Now when the old timers would say, Well, I declare, it was just a manner of speech. But for the apostle John, it was very serious stuff. John was able to declare a message. And I realized as I was looking at John's message, though I had not seen what he saw and I had not handled what he touched, I had not examined what he had examined, had not been there to lay my head upon the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ while here in the flesh, that I could also make that declaration for myself. What I had seen and what I had handled and what I had experienced and so I could give a first-hand account of this wonderful person that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in every occasion of these in the scriptures that I have seen of these persons who would make that declaration, I could not say the same as they would, but I could find myself relating to their story and know that I had a story of my own. And I'm so thankful I know the Lord Jesus Christ that I have a first-hand account of who He is and what He does. I'm thankful that I know a little bit about His wonderful works that He mentions in verse 5 and His thoughts toward me, that I realize that I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me, that I am always on His mind, that He cannot get us off of His mind, that He thinks about us, that He dwells upon us. He's aware of my circumstance. And I made to use some of these the next couple of days. I'm seeking the will of the Lord in this. Uh, but for the next several weeks, we begin looking at this concept, I declare. We looked at that woman at the well, how that she could say, I declare a meeting. She met a man who changed her life. And she told everybody in town, come and see a man which told me all things whatsoever I have done. Surely this is a Christ. The following week we looked at the blind man who was born blind and he received his sight. And they asked him, said, how did you receive your sight? And he said, a man named Jesus came and uh, he made clay and put it in my eyes and told me to wash in the pool and go see him. They looked at him and said, don't you know he's a sinner? He said, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I do know this much. I once was blind, but now I see. That man was able to declare a miracle. Thank God that I have never been blind, but I too can declare a miracle in my life. I once was blind, that is, of the spiritual matters, and now I see. I looked at that man Jacob and how he fought with God and God wrestled with him. And you see, he tried to defeat God. He fought God, but God was wrestling Jacob. You don't wrestle somebody to utterly defeat them, to kill them, to wound them, to hurt them. You do it to get them to submit, to get them to say calf rope, to tap out, to give in. God was trying to get Jacob to submit. And my friend, that night Jacob had tricked everybody else, fooled everybody else, deceived everybody else, conned everybody else, but he found out there was one that could get him to submit. There was one, my friend, when he met him he met his match and Jacob to declare a match and then look at old blind Bartimaeus how he declared mercy Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me the apostle Paul at Mars Hill sees an idol that is an altar built to an unknown God and he said I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious you got that idol to the unknown God well him declare I unto 
I know who he is. He might be unknown to you, but he's not unknown to me. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Hallelujah. Well, then that precious passage of Scripture where Joshua was outside of Jericho and he's scared and he's worried and he sees a man with his sword drawn and he asks him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Well, and he said, Neither, but I am the captain of the Lord's host. How we preached, I declare, a mighty man. I'm glad we can face our battles and follow the man with a sword in his hand. I praise God. We looked at the children of Israel in the wilderness when they saw a small round coriander seed and they made a declaration. They said it is manna. That means what is it? We don't know what this stuff is. They might not have known what it was but they found out what it did. It made their belly full when they were hungry. It kept them alive when they couldn't keep themselves going. It showed up every day of their lives. Hallelujah. Praise God. It was faithful to do everything God said that it would do. And Jesus said, I am that bread that came down from heaven. I never have seen a piece of manna. I don't know what it tastes like. But I can tell you about the bread from heaven. Amen. I know about that. I can declare that bread from heaven. And at the end of my friend, we looked at that. Psalm 19, I declare his mighty works. And my friend, up in the heavens, in Revelation, in a moderation. It took us three weeks to get through Psalm 19. Daniel chapter 4 is one of the greatest declarations. I declare the mystery of the dream. All of the soothsayers and all of the palm readers and card readers, they couldn't declare the dream. But there was a man in whom the Spirit of God was. And Nebuchadnezzar said the Spirit of the gods is in him. But he said no, said it's of the Lord. And he declared the dream, the tree falling, being hewn down, my friend, by the mighty power of the Lord from heaven. And before God got done with Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I declare that the Lord rules in the affairs of the heavens and in the kingdoms of men. I declare the mystery of the dream. Hebrews chapter 11 may be a subject for us later in the week. Whenever those that were in this world, the Bible said they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. I tell you whenever you start talking about heaven, I mean to make heaven my home. I declare the mission. The mission is to make heaven my home. Psalm 66. The Bible tells us how the psalmist declares my soul's story. I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Praise God. I can tell you what he did for my light bill. Help me pay that. I can tell you how that he's put clothes on my back and shoes on my feet and a roof over my head and food on the table and I am grateful for those things. But you want to know what I'm most pleased with? What I'm most happy about? What I praise him most for? What he has done for my soul. I mean he saved my soul. Oh bless his name. I'll never forget the day he came. Praise God for what he's done for my soul. Psalm 78, that passage of scripture, I declare the manner of teaching. It's all about how that the elders are to teach the younger through systematic teaching to pass it on to another generation that they may not be like their fathers and grandfathers' generations and forget the Lord. God, help us. The manner of teaching that is right for this generation is not to just sort of wait and hope your children figure things out. They're watching what's going on. Surely they'll pick up on it. That's folly. That's foolishness. This concept of I want my children to grow up and decide for themselves whether or not they're going to serve the Lord. That's, a, that's idiocy. I mean, my friend, that is, that's not even a plan. I started to say it's a foolish plan. That's not even a plan. You don't let them decide whether to brush their teeth or not, whether to take a bath, whether or not to go to bed at a decent time, whether or not to wear shoes that match. My friend, you tell them how it's supposed to be. And we need to teach our children how things ought to be in the life of a child of God. May God help us, my friend, to declare the manner of teaching. 
And then 1 Corinthians 15 is that great chapter that declares the main thing. I'm declaring to you first of all how that Christ died for our sin according to the scripture. How that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And if Christ be not raised then your faith is vain and you are yet dead in your sin. But thank God Christ is raised. And he's become the first fruit from the dead. And thank God we are also going to be raised in his likeness. The main thing is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Psalm chapter 40. What a great psalm. There's at least two clear and distinct declarations made in this psalm. I'll not attempt both of them tonight. One of them is found in Psalm 7 verses 7 through 10 of this psalm. I declare the mercies of God. Verse 10, I have not heard the righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. The mercies of the Lord. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. And But I thought tonight I'd declare his meditation toward me. His wonderful works. His thoughts which are to us word. He said if they could be reckoned I'm telling you the psalmist had to be from Mandeville Road. That's the right way of talking. If we could reckon them up. If we could total it up. He said when I start counting all the Lord's done for me and all the times he's thought about me. All the times when I thought nobody knew who I was. When I thought nobody cared and I got to counting all those things. I figured out I didn't have a calculator or a slide rule or an Excel spreadsheet good enough to count them all up. There are many towards me. I began looking at how good he is. How big he is. How great he is. How small I am. And he said in verse 17, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord thinks on me. He's got me on his mind. Oh, bless his name. I declare, friend, I am absolutely amazed. I'm shocked. I am in awe. I am inspired by his meditation upon me that he thinks about me, knows me, cares about me. I'm his and he's mine forever. I'm in love with my Savior and he's in love with me. He is my friend. He's my beloved. Praise God for that message. Hallelujah. He is the one who my soul loveth. Hallelujah. Took me to his banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Kissed me with the kisses of his mouth. Showed me favor. I know he's got me on his mind right now. It may seem like the shepherd's a million miles away. Oh, but he's got me on his mind. And while I'm thinking about him, he's thinking about me. Oh, bless his dear name. I declare his meditation towards me. Oh, ain't that good to be saved and know the Lord like that? Do you realize there's a whole world full of people, a whole planet full of folks running around plumb beside themselves, how worried that nobody loves them, that nobody cares about them, think they don't have a friend in the world. And yet, friend, every one of us who are saved, we cannot walk alone. Charles Spurgeon said a child of God can never walk alone unless he chooses to ignore the company he has. Praise God. We have somebody with us. He walks with us, friend. Praise God. He'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. I realize there's a context to Jeremiah 29 11, but there's still also a great uh, a truth revealed in it. Uh, praise God for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Had to give, uh, had to give you an expected end. Luke 12 and 6 Are you not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And are not one of them is not have forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. You are on the mind of God today. You never have to come before God in prayer and say things like, Lord, are you listening? He always is. Lord, do you care? He's always cared. He always has and he always will. You don't ever have to say things like, Lord, why have you left me alone? If you just knew what I'm facing, do you know what's happening in my life? But he does. He's been there through it all. You're always on his mind. I declare his meditation towards me. 
Hallelujah. Now, in spite of the fact that I don't ever have to come before the Lord and pray them kind of prayers, I'm ashamed to tell you that sometimes I do. Lord, if you just understood what a circumstance this is, you'd be as worried about it as what I am. I mean, I know in your word you told me that you'd supply my every need, but you wasn't planning on the needs being this big. And you didn't know how bad it was going to get in my life. I know what you said in your word, but Lord, you don't understand. I know if I'd just wait upon the Lord, if I'd just wait on you, I'd get strength. I'd be, I'd be like an eagle flying around. I realize the promise of the word. But Lord, when you made that promise, you didn't know how bad it was going to get in my life. And I'm in too much trouble to wait and I can't wait and you got to do something if you understood you'd get in a hurry and we don't have to pray like that he does understand, he does know he does see, he does care, he is aware you ain't got to explain nothing to God in fact you don't even have to tell him why you're so bad off you don't have to even tell him why your faith is so weak Matter of fact, he's not even mad at you because you keep asking him questions that he didn't deserve to have to answer. He loves you so much, he'll put up with that. He'll tolerate that. Oh, hey, praise God. You say, well, not to question God. I know a man that's got a whole book in the Bible. My friend, 40 or so chapters of him and his friends questioning God. And I'll tell you what the Lord said about that man. When the devil said he wasn't any good, the Lord said he's one that fears God and excuse evil. He's a perfect and an upright man. That's what God said about a man that spent 40 chapters asking God questions. The Lord will be so merciful with us. My friend, he knows us so well. If you ask him questions, friend, he knows of the sense of your heart. He understands your motive. He understands what you're going through. He's empathetic for your situation. I mean, you cannot even fathom. He's crazy about you tonight. Man, I used to work with, he's such a blessing. He's already went home to be with the Lord now. But every Monday he'd come by and ask me, Preacher, what'd you preach on yesterday? I'd always tell him the same thing, sin. He'd say, were you for it or against it? I said, well, we hadn't made up our minds entirely yet. Every morning it'd be that same thing. He was about a, uh, about five foot nine, weighed about 135 pounds. And he was up in his 70s. I was just in my early 20s. He was up in his 70s. He'd come by my door at the office. He'd ra- raise his muscle up like that. And he'd say, woo, he looked brother jump up there and crow amen oh he was something else but he'd say about that wife of his he called her his red headed swamp angel now listen if that'll work for you or your spouse then you might even want to try some of that stuff in Song of Solomon it might work on her amen Howard teeth looks like a flock of sheep all of them having twins and jumping over the mountains try it out see how it works but he called her his red headed swamp angel He'd say, whoo, little brother, that red-headed swamp angel's hog about me. I said, every morning I leave the house, she cries over me, cries till I get back home. I said, she can't get me off her mind. She's just hog over me. She wouldn't know what to do without me. She's always got me on her mind. Now listen, I realize that's real elementary. I realize that's not real deep theology. Probably you could poke gaping holes in whether or not it's applicable. But I want to tell you something tonight. The Lord is hog over you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He'll go to the far ends of the earth. My friend, matter of fact, he will literally move heaven and earth to save somebody like you and me. He would stop the sun in its tracks for one of his children. He would give his only begotten son on Calvary's hill for us. He commended his love toward us. Him that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, his meditations towards us, they're more than what we can reckon up. Woo! Hallelujah. And here I am, hadn't preached a lick tonight. I mean, I hadn't even touched it. But I'm telling you, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. And listen, hey, I feel about like a a girl in Song of Solomon. If a preacher's got to take time to make him a list of all the reasons why he loves Jesus and what he's wanting to preach on, listen, I appreciate outlines and inlines and and outlaws and in-laws and everything. But if I couldn't preach out of my shirt sleeve about how much I love the Lord and how 
good he is to me and how good it is to be saved if I couldn't just stand and flat footed preach for about 45 minutes and tell everybody how wonderful Jesus is and brag on the Lord I'd get in a prayer closet and I would stay until I could come out with the Holy Ghost dripping off my fingertips and I'd tell somebody how good Jesus is amen I'm telling you he thinks about us he's our Lord and I'm his servant I'm so glad I'm saved amen Woo! Hallelujah. Praise God. Now the psalmist David said, I know this is true, not just because I heard tell of it, but because I've experienced it for myself. Oh, hallelujah. When he says this in verse 5, he says it in light of what the Lord has done in his life. Some of y'all might not think that the Lord thinks too much of me. Some of you might not think too much of me. Some of y'all might think, why in the world look like God would find somebody else to love that'd be a better candidate than what he is. But you weren't there when I was crying out, and you weren't there when I was in the pit, and you don't know what it was like when I was sinking in the muck and the mire. Woo! Oh, I'm telling you, he let me know what he cares about me. His meditation was toward me when I cried out. In verse 1, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Psalm 34, 17 said, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and he delivereth them out of all their troubles. David describes his circumstances and his crying out to God, and he learned that the Lord was listening and attentive to his voice. My friend, the Lord is meditating on on your cry. Had no need in you ever again looking up towards heaven and saying, Lord, are you listening? I know that he is. He's listening. He's listening for your cry. He listened for David and for my waiting cry. He cried and he waited. I waited patiently for the Lord. A waiting can be testing to our souls. The waiting on God is rewarded. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait I say on the Lord. Have this cry my friend. He was waiting. He was waiting to be heard and God did hear. He was waiting for help and God did help. He was waiting for hope and God gave him hope. Your waiting cry is worthwhile and he's listening and he's thinking about you tonight. His cry, his waiting cry, the Lord was thinking about and meditating on his wanting cry. David, when he cries out, he has a need. He wants something. He desires something. He has a cry for help. It's a desire for rescue. It's a cry of need and desperation. But God is meditating on our cries. He cried like he wanted deliverance, and God would deliver. He cried like he wanted direction, and God would give him direction. He cried like he wanted something different and God made everything different in his life praise God put a new song in his mouth even praising our God many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord I mean friend listen this whole world's looking for something different something that they've not experienced something that they don't know something that they have only heard about and it is in the Lord cry out unto him and you'll find out he's meditating on your cry your cry that wants a new life He'll give you a new life. If any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. He's meditating on my cry. He's meditating on my clay. In verse number two, he said, He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, now the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. The clay of that old horrible pit shows the trap. It shows the confinement. It shows the bondage of the psalmist's trouble. Above all things, it illustrates the overwhelming power of sin that the sinner deals with. That is too much for him that holds on to him. That, my friend, that binds him outside of the help of God. But I'm telling you, the Lord is meditating on your clay. He knows the pit that afflicts suffering on you. He sees a dirty pit filled with the clay of a 
addiction and perversion and other presumptuous sins. He knows about the discouraging pit filled with the quicksand of depression, negativism, despair, and the old spirit of give up. He's fully aware of the enslaving pit of financial despair and the dead and bankruptcy that causes people to lose hope and feel my friend perpetually confined and these are all earthly things the clay is always whirly whatever it is that grips you and destroys you and sucks you down into the pit it's always whirly it's always carnal it's always natural and my friend hear me the things that bind us are always whirly your hurt is always whirly but your help is heavenly the thing that hurts you is of this world but the one that helps you is of another world hallelujah he's meditating on you you're not forgotten and he knows where you are in your clay sinking down in the quicksand in the horrible pit in the miry clay it's a deep pit the times of David they would dig pits outside the city to put the garbage in the refuse, the sewage, and other trash in it. They dug them deep and narrow in order to be able to put the stinking filth in and still be able to cover it with a stone to trap the smell, keep the stench and the rot of the filth of the flesh from drifting out of that pit. And David said, that's where I was, calling on the Lord. We sing, I was way below the bottom. He reached way below the bottom for me that night. David literally was below the bottom. He said, I was in the pit, rock over top of my head. Somebody said, I don't see a rock there. Yes, you do. He pulled me up out of the horrible pit, set my feet upon a rock. I was up under the rock. The rock was my condemnation. Now it is my foundation. Are you listening to me? That's the way it was for every sinner. The law that condemned us is now the statutes of the Lord upon which we stand. I mean, it was my condemnation. Now it's my salvation. Now it's my foundation. Amen. And he said that's where it was. Sin is a deep pit with a giant stone on top blocking your deliverance. And if God does not rescue a man, remove the stone and pull him out, he'll never get out. But Psalm 69, 15 said, And let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. When I was in a deep pit, the Lord knew where I was, found me when I was lost. Hallelujah had revealed unto me. He had his mind on me. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. In the deep pit, in the deadly pit, a man who was found to be a lawbreaker, an enemy of the society, condemned to die, would sometimes be put to death for his crimes by being put in one of these pits and left to die with a stone capping off the pit. Oh, what an awful way to die, wallowing in the field for the flesh and condemnation over your head. That's where every sinner is until the Lord saves him. In a deep pit, in a deadly pit, in a destructive pit with the filth and the germs and the bacteria and the disease and the quicksand and the muck and the mire the mud of that miry clay held fast its victims and destroyed them all oh my friends stripped their strength out and the more they stomped about in it to climb out the worse of their situation got and the more they were held fast by it and they found out they were worn out and wearied and could not escape of their own power oh but when we were yet in our own sin the Lord thought about us and had mercy on us while we were yet without strength in the due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a for a man for scarcely for a righteous man one time yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us in that destructive pit that downward cycle of life he thought about us hallelujah I was preaching in Disney Kentucky 10-12 years ago and the old boy that was a song leader at that church is a real song leader real real good song leader and he's a big man probably he was he was at least six inches taller than I am I mean and a mountain of a man 
I'm guessing probably 500 pounds. I mean, he went to Walmart, saw his overalls hanging up in the ceiling, and told him to get them down, take them home with him. Some of y'all's old enough to remember that. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Amen. Brother Chris said something about being old and uh, how you take selfies and whatever else. If you are young enough to take a selfie, you're younger than what you probably ought to be. Amen. Oh, my God, help us. Amen. Back whenever we was young, we had friends to take our pictures for us. Amen. We, didn't, we weren't so isolated we had to take a picture of ourselves. We had friends, and they could take our picture. Amen. Amen. We also had Walmarts that sold overalls, and the biggest pair of them in the store would hang from the ceiling. And he went into the Walmart, pulled his overalls off the ceiling. I mean, as a great big old man. And I never will forget him testifying that night big voice him testifying he said several things that week made a mark on me a fine Christian what a blessing and he stood there that night put his fingers behind the galluses of them overalls and he sung and when he reached out his hand for me the Savior had to reach way down for me and he testified that night and said he said I was lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut the night the Lord saved my soul I don't know if you put all that together but that's about as down as you can get. Snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut. And he said the Lord reached way down for me and saved my soul. This whole world's headed down. It's getting deeper in sin. As sinners are becoming more depraved and more open with their sin every day and more ungodly and my friend more unashamed but there's still a God in heaven and my friend that hears the cry of a man in a pit who's away below the bottom and he thinks about you and cares about you and he'll bring you up out of that destructive pit. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My cries are thinking about my clay. My change. He's thinking about my change. Hallelujah. He brought me up also out of the my clay. Out of the horrible pit, out of the mire clay, set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth. He even prays in our God, many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. It goes something like this. My heart was distressed neath Jehovah's dread frown. And lo, in the pit where my sins dragged me down, I cried to the Lord from the deep miry clay who tenderly brought me out to golden day. He placed me upon the strong rock by his side. My steps were established. Now here I'll abide. No danger of falling while here I remain. But stand by his grace until the crown I gain. He gave me a song was a new song of praise by day and by night it's sweet notes I will raise my heart's overflowing I'm happy and free I'll praise my redeemer who has rescued me I'll sing of his wonderful mercy to me I'll praise him till all men his goodness shall see I'll sing of his salvation a home and abroad until many shall hear the truth and trust in God he brought me out of the miry clay he set my feet on a rock to stay he puts a song in my soul today a song of praise hallelujah oh he changed me he changed my tune if you get saved if you'll get right with God he will change your tune amen friend he's put a new song in my mouth the new tune is not loving and leaving it's not sad songs of loss and tears it's not a song of adultery and fornication running off with somebody else's wife my friend it's not even about trains and pickup trucks and hound dogs but it's a song of deliverance it's a song of salvation I can now sing songs like victory in Jesus I can now sing songs like blessed assurance I can now sing songs like he brought me out praise God hallelujah I can now sing songs like near the cross amen oh I want to see him look upon his face I mean, friend, these are the songs of the child of God. Amen. He changed my tune. He changed my testimony. It's even praise in our God. He changed my trust. It is in the Lord. My confidence is in Him. I'm telling you tonight, He's thinking about you. He is meditating on your, on your change. 
He's meditating on your cry, your clay. Verse 17 is the close of this chapter. He comes back to this thing where the Lord's thinking about him. And I'm going to tell you this is the farthest you can get from the testimony he gives of his deliverance or salvation experience in this chapter is verse 17. Now I'm not real bright, but since that's the end of the chapter, that's got to be true, hasn't it? If he tells about his conversion experience, his salvation experience, how the Lord hears him and brings him out of, out of the clay and so forth in verse 1, and the last verse in the chapter is as far away from that as what you can get. No matter how far down the road you go living for the Lord, verse 17 is still going to matter to you. I've been saved now for 34 years this month, and I found out verse 17 means more to me now than it ever has in my life. Thank you for the song you sung a while ago. It's in his hands. I've faced more devils in the last few years than I ever have in my life. More burdens, more frustrations, more cares, more opposition. People that I never really expected from out of nowhere attack you. Try to rob your family. I've watched as they've taken money out of my bank account. Tried to destroy my life and my career. Attack my ministry. Try to mistreat my children. And wondered, Lord, why don't you do something about it? Brother William Thompson told me, he said, just because you don't see what God is doing, it doesn't mean that God isn't doing. He's always doing. And verse 17 is a great reminder to me. I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Hallelujah. My little girl Gracie sings that song. I'm poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks about me In troubled times He is my tower and refuge you see This world has nothing to offer me I cling to Him For I know whatever I need That's just what He is He's my rock and my deliverer. He's my strength, my God and my king. He's my shelter in the time of trouble. Yes, I look to him for everything. He can be a mother, a father, or a friend. And on him I can always depend. For I know whatever I need, that's just what He is. Poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks on me. Even after three decades of knowing the Lord, I'm still poor and needy. I realize that in myself I am nothing and I am nobody. But the Lord has not lost interest in me. He hasn't gotten tired of me. He has not looked at me and said, I've had enough of you. You bother me. Go away. But he's still thinking on me. He hasn't got out of the habit of being sweet to me and loving on me and showing me affection. Amen. He meditates on my care. Oh, praise. God he cares about my bankruptcy this is my state he said I am poor you might think you're doing well but you might want to think again because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked I counsel thee to, get, to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that thy shame of the nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyes save that thou mayest see as many as I love a rebuke and chasten me as zealous therefore and repent he cares about my bankruptcy he knows my state that I'm poor he cares about my begging that is my supplication I'm not only poor but I'm needy I need him every hour I will never be enough on my own without him I hear people sometimes say about a boy or a 
Carol or God forbid their husband or their wife I just got to get shed of them they're just too needy why they just need something all the time you better be glad they still need you because if they didn't need you they wouldn't keep your old grumpy self around amen they're just too needy I talked to men that absolutely look ugly enough to make a freight train take a dirt road and they'll complain about some pretty woman being too needy you better be glad she needs you that's the only reason she's keeping you I'm telling you listen the Lord knows how needy we really are and yet he never pushes us away he never has said Toby go away you bother me you always have some kind of problem instead he says come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest amen Woo! Oh, he's thinking about my cares, cares of bankruptcy, cares of begging, cares of building. That is my strength. That is, I need him. I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, oh my God. I need him. Ephesians 2 and 22 says, In him you also are built together in the habitation of God through the Spirit. You know what the Lord really wants you to do and to be as a saved person? You know why he saved you? Not just to go to heaven. I mean, if he wanted you just to go to heaven, he could have killed you off the day he saved you or drowned you in the baptismal pool and accomplished that just right, couldn't he? But he left us here for something. He saved you for a purpose. That you may be a habitation of God through the Spirit. He wants to build us into something. A building fitly framed together, the Bible said. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I'm glad I'm in the building, aren't you? Hallelujah. A building that will never be destroyed. Thank God. A bride that will never be divorced. Here's one for you. Last sermon you preached. A bride that will never be divorced. And a building that will never be destroyed. A battalion that will never be defeated. Hallelujah. Ain't that wonderful? I'm glad I know him. I'm glad he's mine and I'm his. He's building us. I need him. I've got to have his strength in my life. Well, I declare, I get to thinking about how good God is, and I get to thinking about how He's been thinking about me. I'm going to give you a real carnal illustration, and that ought to mean that everybody in here knows how to take it. When I was a boy, my sisters loved those Shirley Temple movies. And a lot of them now, you know, are banned because supposedly they're too difficult for us to accept with our fragile mental capacities and so forth in this day. Now, how in the world we're supposed to put up with gangster rap, but we can't put up with Shirley Temple? There's something bad wrong in our world. There's a lot of mixed up people out there. But there's this one where, Shirley Temple movie, where that uh, there's this fellow who is a slave at a plantation and he tells one of them other slaves he said you know I've been thinking all day about something that other slave says you ain't got no business thinking you ain't never been real good at that he says well says master tells me that thinking's good for me because it proves that I got a brain and he said what you been thinking about he said I was thinking all day yesterday how come they called a horse a hoss and he said, uh, well, what you been thinking about today? He said, today I've been thinking all day about how to come they called a shoe a shoe. He said, well, what you going to think on tomorrow? He said, I'm thinking about, thinking about how hard it is to think about all these things. <laughs> you know what I find myself doing a lot of times? Thinking about how hard it must be for the Lord to think about all of us and all the things we've been thinking about. And sometimes I get... A paralysis by analysis and I think about everything so much that I get to the place where I can't hardly do anything for thinking about and worrying about and, and fretting over and the Lord told me not to do that 
He told us in the Sermon on the Mount not to do that, not to fret ourselves, not to worry ourselves of the morrow. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. We're not to fret ourselves over tomorrow. We're to trust Him for tomorrow. And yet I find myself thinking about these things. But when I start thinking about how the Lord's thinking about what I've been thinking about, and if He's thinking about it and He's so good about thinking about things that I can never think about Him like He thinks about Him, then why do I got to think about Him if the Lord's thinking about Him? I can just trust him to think about them and I hadn't got to worry about it I can cast my y'all say you don't know what I'm talking about this is what the scripture said cast your cares on him for he careth for you he's thinking about what you've been thinking about and there's no use for you to think about it anymore just start thinking about Jesus and how his mind is on you and how you can trust him and your worries can be put to rest amen My older sister sings a song that says, you rise up from your bed and you start the day ahead at the dawning of another day. There are worries to be met, promises that must be kept, and you know that there is no delay. You think that you, that the day will wait no longer, but said then you forget that you had Jesus walking there by your side And did you think with all your problems, he'd just run away and hide? All your burdens he'll make light. All your problems he'll make right. If with him you'll only talk it over. But oh, to have this peaceful bliss. What you have to do is this. Get up with Jesus on your mind. Amen. You know what you need to do, friend? You need to spend some time tonight thinking about him or thinking about you. Oh, and how it would change your life. Time to give an invitation. Is that all right, Pastor? Somebody may need to pray. Everybody stand with us if you would, please. Oh, this evening, there's folks in this building that you think's got it all together. It seems like they do. But if you knew the worries and burdens that lay upon their shoulders, it'd probably scare you to death. But all across the building, there's somebody else with some other burden, some other trouble. The cares of the whole world rest upon the Lord's shoulders. Oh, thank you for playing that. Last night we had the lady at our church that plays the organ just play the organ all the way through on that song. And all of us just stand and listen. What a friend we have in Jesus. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Some of you need to get in this altar tonight and just let the Lord know. I'm going to quit worrying about these things. I know you've got a handle on them. I remember one of my heroes, Brother Milby, telling about how when they cut his job off, and he told him he would not deliver the beer for him down there at the Fort Knox. Put him on a beer truck. He said, I just checked out, went home. So the devil sat on my shoulder and said, you're a smart aleck, it's what you are. You youngins is going to go barefooted. He said, I finally was riding down the road. I asked the Lord, I said, what about that? I said, is he right? Is my children going to go barefooted? How are you going to let us starve? What are we going to do? He said, the Holy Ghost tapped him on the shoulder and said, if you'll let me, I reckon I can think of something. Some of us is trying to think of something instead of letting the Lord do our thinking. We're not qualified to think about anything but the Lord. But if we'll put our focus on Him tonight... Make our thoughts full of Him. He'll take care of everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Obey the Lord tonight. God will bless you.